1: Welcome everyone to another episode of Revolution Recap. Tonight, the Revs wrapped up their week in Canada with a disappointing 4-0 loss in Montreal. From lack of depth to poor officiating and possibly tired legs, the Revolution were outplayed in every facet of the match. My name is Chris Felucas, and here to break this one down with me is Sam Minton of the Bent Musket. Sam, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing good, Chris. I'm glad to be back on the pod, but obviously I uh, wish it was in better circumstances with the Revs having a rough game. Uh, but happy to talk some Reds Revs with you again.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Definitely wish it could have been under better circumstances. Uh, Game was a tough one to watch. Uh, I don't really know what to say before jumping into it. So I'm just going to jump right into it. And let's start with you for the key takeaways. And uh, these key takeaways are obviously brought to you by our friends at the Rebellion. Please be sure to check out the Rebellion if you have any interest uh, in supporting the club any further. But uh, Sam, yeah, what do you got? What's your takeaway?
0: I mean, obviously, there's lots of ways you could you could go with this, but I'm gonna try and be a little bit more positive, and i'm I'm gonna mm-hmm. focus on Esmir. I'm gonna focus on Esmir because I'm not going to try his last name because I don't want to be rude and mispronounce it. Barak I think that's, that's where I'm going than with. I would have You did a better job than me. But yeah, overall, you know, <laughs> Esmir getting his start playing a complete ninety minutes, you know, quite impressive, obviously, you know, there were some moments where he showed that he was, in fact, a seventeen year old. But, you know, especially within 15 minutes of the match, nutmegging a Montreal defender, you know, that was pretty impressive. And just overall being able to go 90 minutes against a team like Montreal, who I think could be easy to forget. is at the top of the Eastern Conference right now, second, I believe. Uh, So overall, I thought it was an impressive debut for him, especially, you know, seeing that he just recently was able to play. Just recently on Wednesday, got his first minutes. Um, so overall, it's good to see him play. You know, we get to speak with him after the match. He kind of talked about, you know, playing with that confidence. And, you know, that's probably why we saw some uh, a nutmeg from him. Uh, but overall, I think if there's anything Revolution fans can be positive about, it's the fact that Esmir made his debut and, you know, looked pretty solid out there.
1: Yeah, 100% agree with all of that. And the player that uh, that Esmir was able to, to meg was Gabriel Corbo, a 22-year-old Italian. Uh, for Montreal, and it was such a, a beautiful and such a ballsy play that you just didn't expect to see a 17-year-old kid making his, you know, a debut, almost debut, uh, his first MLS start. Um, it, it it took a lot to to try that move, and uh, he played it perfectly and wowed me for sure, and it wasn't just the Corbo play either. Uh, he was coming in with, with confidence all night, He went into a 50-50 with Victor Wanyama at one point where he slid right in um, and pretty sure won the ball. I can't remember exactly what the outcome was because there's been so many other things to forget about this game. Um, But Esmir is 100% a a positive to take away from tonight, and hopefully he just keeps developing. Uh, I'd love to see him uh, continuing with the team. And of course, Esmir got the start tonight just because of the uh the lack of depth available right now on on the on the roster but given the chance and he's taking it 17 year old kid going out there and uh it was just really fantastic and same thing we had Noel buck doing this before uh, a couple weeks ago and now it's uh it's Esmir Baz- bazrak tarevich okay I, I got it once and now I'm gonna mess it up that time but um <laughs> uh, did you have anything else to add on Esmir before we move on
0: no, I think it was interesting that he did add, uh, I believe Seth McCumber uh asked him, you know, just what he can do to improve and kind of, you know, hopefully one day become consistent part of the starting eleven. He cut our part of the squad and he mentioned kind of just building up that stamina. And I think obviously not just for him, but for a lot of players, you know, stamina was an issue. He had the midweek match. Then once again, you're shorthanded. you know, Wilford Captoon wasn't in the match day squad, Noel Buck wasn't in the match day squad either. Uh, So there's definitely some tired legs out there. But again, you know, definitely a pleasing start to uh, Esmir's MLS career.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, again, you said it tired legs and he still went out, uh, did 90 minutes tonight. Uh, and had a fantastic game, I think. 51 touches, so he was very much involved in the game. Uh, He was pretty accurate on his passing, 80%. Um, You know, can't ask for a whole lot more from uh, such a young player like that. Uh, Moving on to my takeaway, and uh, I, I spent way too long trying to think about this takeaway and it is going to blow your mind. I don't have a takeaway. There was so much with this game that I it, it almost feels everything was very circumstantial. Uh, as we getting to play was circumstantial. The fact that AJ De La Garza is playing center mid was a circumstantial uh, happenstance. The fact that uh, Montreal scored four goals like uh, everything was just so bizarre about this game i don't really know what i can take away from it that it is going to mean anything going forward i'm very disappointed with the match would have liked to see the revs come away with at least a point uh make it five points on the uh on the road trip here but um that's not the way that that it panned out and uh yeah i'm just going to move right into to the topics um let's
0: get
1: it let's get into it first thing i think we have to address the lineup uh, Wednesday night, the Revs rolled with um, a five at the back formation. Tonight, they came in with, I don't know what you would really call it. I'm kind of saying it's like a hybrid 4-3-3, uh, and personnel changes, right? No Omar, no Makun, no Boateng. Instead, we see Esmere, uh, John Bell, A.J. De La Garza get the starts. Um, and then we also even had a question on this, too. James Downing wanted to know. Uh, our thoughts on why we didn't go to the five at the back to start against a better team when we were undermanned and on a short week. Fantastic question. I'm wondering the same exact thing. Lots of changes. Don't really know why five at the back seemed to work a lot. Sam, what's your thoughts?
0: Yeah, you know, it's very interesting because you have a player like Omar Gonzalez, for example, who was able to have, you know, a really good, I would say a really good performance against Toronto with that five in the back. You're also able to get a guy like Christian McCune some minutes, which could be crucial as you go down the line and improving that depth. So it seems like it possibly would have made sense to, you know, continue with that uh, five in the back. I know obviously we saw John Bell play tonight, you know, whether it be trying to rest some guys, the match congestion, just trying not to, you know, run a guy like Omar or someone like McCoon, you know, out after, you know, playing uh, against Toronto. You know, I definitely understand it, but especially going up against a team like uh Montreal, who has a guy like Romel Kyoto. You know, you have Victor Waniyama in the midfield. Luckily, the Revolution didn't have to, you know, deal with George Mihailovic, who sat out because it looks like he's going to get a European transfer. But you know, there's plenty of weapons on that Montreal roster who can get bored getting the attack. You know, I almost forgot Kai Kamara, who yep. seems to be a Rebs killer because he scored he scored like the second most goals in MLS um, MLS history against New England Revolution. He scored 11 goals and uh, only another player has more, which is it's 14 goals. So, you know, there's plenty of weapons there. So having five at the back could have been advantageous. You know, it worked against Toronto. You think it would possibly work against Montreal. Uh, but overall, I think it was just a rough night from the defenders. You know, you look at a guy like Andrew Farrell whether it just be kind of getting caught, you know, going for a tackle and, you know, just having Montreal blow by him. You know, obviously there's the Kyoto go where he, he was basically put on skates by Kyoto. It was a great goal by him, and Kyoto had a great game. Uh, John Bell had some rough moments. I think there was times where DeWan looked tired, you know, Brandon Byte looked tired. And, you know, maybe you could have benefited from playing a guy like A.J. De La Garza, you know, more in that typical center back position compared to playing him in the midfield. Uh, but overall, you know, I get the uh, kind of rotation that you have to make with such matches so close together. Uh, but it it kind of was a little puzzling to go away from the five-man backline. line.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I missed what you said at the very end. I accidentally muted my computer, so <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to roll with it. Um, it, it. You talked about Kai Kamara, and I wanted to add, you talked about Kai Kamara, and you talked about Omar Gonzalez. and. Looking at the lineup, you you know, Kai Kamara, uh, Bruce Arena, obviously, well, not obviously, but did not coach uh, Kai Kamara in New England. I don't think they ever really crossed paths. Um, I don't think Kai has ever played for Bruce, but Bruce has to be aware of Kai's abilities and that he is an aerial threat. And I thought Omar Gonzalez was brought here to be that aerial defensive threat, like, or the counter to the aerial threat, right? Uh, and... <clears throat> after such a strong performance in the midweek match against Toronto, all of a sudden Omar is now starting on the bench and you bring in John Bell instead. Maybe John Bell didn't start in Toronto because he was coming back from injury. Who knows? I'm not going to speculate too much about that because we don't know. But then why isn't Omar start? I, I, I just don't necessarily get that. He finally put in the performance that you expected from him when he was signed or, i expected from him anyway i don't know maybe other people had lower expectations but that's what he was brought in here to do is to just solidify the back line in a really tight um i don't want to say park in the bus type formation but uh he's he's not gonna beat anyone for speed he's gonna beat you in the air he's gonna beat you for strength those are his those are his strengths right now and it just seemed like the perfect match to play him coming in with the momentum and everything um, and the fact that we didn't see him i thought was uh, uh really disappointing um uh, another question on the formation was uh, andy from revs nation fresh off of his extra time call out uh congrats andy getting uh, onto extra time pretty awesome um but he wants to know thoughts on the four three two one felt like the revs were ill-equipped to play through the press a lot of hopeful balls to Rennex or trying to play, excuse me, trying to play through heel in the middle with no support. Um, it, it, he's 100% right on all of that. There was definitely a ton of hopeful balls to Renex. Uh He didn't seem to quite have the same wheels after what we saw Wednesday night. Not really sure. Uh, maybe tired legs again with him. Um, trying to play through heel obviously didn't work. I feel like he was shut down very well by Montreal. Um, and the formation, I just don't think worked one bit really. Um, it created a bit of possession in the midfields at times, but not a whole lot other than that. Stan, did you have anything else on the four, three, two, one? I know you're a tactical genius and all. Um, so I, I would love to get your, your feedback.
0: Yeah. Uh, Bruce, uh, may or may not have said that sarcastically. Uh, but yeah, <laughs> it, it definitely seemed like Garcia was really frustrated and, you know, you kind of understand that he didn't really have a lot to work with. You know, you have, you have guys like Esmere, you know, you have Rennix who, you know, I think he can be a, you know, quality striker, but it's kind of tough for him. A lot of what he does is just being physical and just kind of being a pest. And, you know, obviously he is able to score goals, but he's not someone who you're going to, you know, see, take on a defender, use some skill and get by him and, then you know, be able to get a goal. You know, you, you see him make these great runs or just, Kind of he's more like i don't know if you want to call it soccer iq plays and he's able to put himself in the right position so you know i definitely get why carlos hugh you know he just wasn't able to really get anything going he had a guy like tommy mcnamara who was coming off a pretty solid game didn't think he had any anything to write home about i know it was definitely it was his uh, 200 mls appearance but wasn't really a great game for him and that's in the sense overall he didn't really make an impact so it definitely seemed like carlos uh Carlos was getting frustrated, and it's kind of hard to blame him because, you know, you're used to having guys like Bo, Barrero, Veroni, and now you're working with Esmere and Justin Renick. It's not exactly uh, the same level of talent. So definitely can be frustrating, but, again, you know, maybe if you have that, you know, five men in the back, uh, maybe you do better, but it just seemed like the Reds were outmatched totally, uh, you know, on Saturday
1: night. Yep, 100%. And then uh, one guy we haven't talked too much about so far, Definitely want to get some, uh, some of your thoughts on on AJ De La Garza. Uh, started playing as a central midfield, central defensive midfield. I'm not really sure where he was kind of slotting in there. Uh, he seemed to look out of place, uh, seemed to get beat quite a bit. Um, not sure that was necessarily the best spot for him. Uh, Bruce took him off at halftime uh, and brought on uh, Emmanuel Boateng, which, again, I'm not sure why Boateng didn't necessarily get the start, but maybe again, tired legs, I guess. What what did you think about De La Garza um, starting in the midfield like that?
0: Yeah, it was just really stunning. Like, I remember, you know, looking at the lineup and I'm like, wait, De La Garza actually in the midfield? I had to like go into the email that we get from the Revs communication staff to make sure he was listed as a midfielder. And he, and he was. Um, so mm. I think it's really hard to, you know, blame him because that's obviously not his natural position. He was asked to do something he's not used to be doing, used to doing and obviously he hasn't played that much so I, i'm not going to really get too upset about his performance i think he kind of was set up to fail in a way you know maybe if he is playing that natural center back position or even if you want to give a guy like brandon by or do jones a break you know putting him out with the outside back i think he probably does a little bit better uh, but i think it's really hard to blame him because you know he's put in a position that he's not used to playing and it just you know, going up against guys like Victor Warniyama and in Kyoto, if you're not comfortable in the position you're playing, you're probably going to get exposed.
1: Yep. And, and I think that's exactly what happened tonight. Uh, really unfortunate. Um, and then you mentioned real quick that Tommy McNamara played his 200th career game. Um, so congrats to Tommy for that. Too bad there was uh, not more memorable moments. Uh, moving on from the lineup specifically. we like to bring it up on this podcast quite a bit. And uh, it's time to get your feedback. Oh, panic button. Where are we at? We have eight games left in the season. uh revs are currently at the moment in seventh place uh, in the Eastern Conference with a lot of teams nipping at their heels. Um panic button are you are you close to pressing it or what what are we thinking?
0: I mean, I wouldn't say I'm close to pressing just based on the fact that obviously New England's missing so many players. So, I think even if you get one of the guys like Barrero or Veroni back, you know you're going to look like a lot a, a very different team. You know when you get Kessler back, you're going to have a very strong, you know, center back pairing. You know you hope that after missing these matches, he's been able to stay fit and you know will you know kind of be used to that game speed and nothing will drop off. Uh, but overall, I wouldn't say it. I- I'm panicking. I think you know there is the point that obviously the revolution haven't been healthy. And they're kind of running out of time to get healthy and get everybody, you know, in their best position. You know, chemistry continue to build that, and just you know, be ready for the playoffs. But you know, I wouldn't be worried, uh, as Bruce Arena loves to say, you just need to get into the playoffs, and if you're able to, you know, get on a hot streak at the right time, you can make a run for the MLS Cup, uh, like the Revolution did in, I believe, uh, 2020. Uh, so I, I wouldn't be too worried. Obviously, if they do miss the playoffs, it will be a disappointment uh but i think once you get these injured guys back you're gonna be in a much better place and it can be easy to you know look at this result and be like wow the ribs going up against a top team you know got demolished but you know they had a lot of guys injured it wasn't their ideal starting 11 so i think it's not time to press the panic button just yet
1: all right very very fair answer i would say uh I'm also not pressing it. I don't think I, anyone has been ready to press it all season quite yet. We've been wavering and I'm a bit closer. I think that you uh, looking ahead at the schedule, it worries me a little bit. Uh, Revs have about eight days off now until their next match. But then they're going into three games in seven days. Another situation that they were just in. Granted, this time it's all going to be at home. Uh, three games at Gillette Stadium. Hopefully it's going to be um, the remedy for whatever they're going through, hopefully they can get some players healthy and can uh, just perform better and get some get some points because really running out of time here. Uh, I, I, I'm definitely close to panicking because, yeah, it, it's just it, we're we're talking about the health of this team and obviously wanting to make sure we can get the players on the pitch. We want to see them play, want to see them perform would love to see the revs, you know, start getting hot and start clicking right before the playoffs, rolling in as a strong, you know, lower seed or traveling team, whatever you want to call it. Uh, if, but I'm not necessarily sure that that can happen. These players have been out for a while, and it doesn't necessarily mean that once they're ready to play, everything's going to everything's going to fall into place and everything's going to going to go. The guys that have been playing the last few weeks uh, have shown that they have tremendous heart and will. And we know that they have been outclassed, uh, athletically or, um, just as far as skill giftedness, you know, with the exception of course, of Carles heel, whenever you have him on the pitch, that's always an advantage, but, um, especially with the young guys going out there, we have all the depth players, Omar Gonzalez stepping up. Um, it's, it's shown a lot of grit from this team, which I'm, I think is very hopeful, but Overall, I'm definitely concerned. Um, So these eight days off um, are gonna be very important, I think, uh, for this next three-game homestand. If the Revs can't pick up at least six out of the nine available points, then I think they're gonna be in very big trouble for making the playoffs. Um, So that's where I'm at. That's where uh, I'm with the panic button. I'd say I'm a seven out of 10 when it comes to pressing that panic button. So I'm definitely a bit closer than you. yeah, I don't know. That's where I'm at.
0: I, I think it is also fair to mention that, you know, you do have an L.A. Galaxy squad who is loads of talent. Obviously, there'll be questions if you have a guy like Chicharito playing, obviously, with the lovely New England turf. But, you know, you do have L.A. coming in. I know that you have Chicago coming in. They haven't had the best season. But they do have weapons like Shaqiri and Casper Shabilko. So there's definitely some reason, you know, to be a little bit concerned. But I think you know, it's crucial that they get the points at home because obviously you're on the road, you're only able to pick up one point uh, on this road trip. You need to make up for that by getting these points at home. So it will be crucial if they do want to make the playoffs, they need to, you know, get as many points as possible at home.
1: Yep, 100%. Uh, Before we do continue, though, we wanted to take a minute and talk about our sponsor, Galasso Kits. Galasso Kits' mission is to bring unique vintage jerseys to your home. With a catalog of jerseys, jackets, scarves, and more from clubs and national teams from over 80 countries in the world. They have U.S. men's national team merch. They have revolution merch. They have merch from your favorite European club that you support from afar. Galassia kits will have something you want and need in your closet. And if you're not sure what you want, you can check out their mystery kit packages. Where you enter in your size and what style of jersey you like, and Galassa will surprise you with the kit of your dreams. Go check out ColossalKits.com now for their full selection and make sure you follow them at ColossalKits on Twitter and Instagram for updates on their new inventory. And when you find something you like, use promo code REVSRECAP to save 15% on your order. That's promo code REVSRECAP at ColossalKits.com for 15% off your order. Links and the code can be found in the show notes. Sam, what do you think about listener questions? You ready? Let's get it. Awesome. Uh, Teal Forever, we're going to start with you. Wants to know so many new players missing lots of time with injuries. What are the chances they can recover and be match fit by late year or playoffs? Um, so this is something that I kind of was just talking about. Uh, all these injuries. What what do you think? Is there enough time for these players to recover and uh, start jelling?
0: I, I think for some, there you know there should be hope. I would hope that a guy like Dylan Barrero, Gustavo Bo. I would hope that they would be able to get, uh, you know, healthy. I would think that someone like Veroni would be able to get healthy in time, but especially for someone like Captoon, we don't really know the you know, nature of his injury, how serious it is, but the fact that he literally suffered it this week isn't exactly great, especially when you mentioned, you know, we have those free games and rapid succession coming up. Uh, but I think overall Rez fans should be confident that you're going to be able to get those key guys back. And once you're able to get a, few games under the belt, whether it be coming off the bench or, you know, playing uh, 90 minutes, I think you'll be able to get those key guys in. And it'll be crucial, especially if they are, you know, looking to win games and looking to make a, a run. They need to make sure that guys like Barrero, Bowen, Veroni are ready for when the MLS Cup playoffs come. And obviously, part of that is making sure that you're in the playoffs. So you're going to need them to perform as well, too. Uh, but overall, I would be confident that, you know, a majority of them should be able to be ready for the playoffs. Yeah, you know, I,
1: I, I guess maybe I was a little harsh before, but I'm confident that, you know, Bo's going to come back. Whenever he does come back, you know, we were told it was only going to be a couple of days, and that's now been uh, two or three weeks. Um, but assuming he comes back, I have a feeling he's going to have no trouble at all fitting right in again. And uh, Dylan Barrero seems to have very good chemistry with Gustavo Bow. Hopefully they can continue that and keep growing. Um, my big question is uh, who's going to be banging in the goals, um, if anybody? So Giacomo Veroni seems like a, a a quality player and just not sure there's been enough time um, to, to really connect with his teammates. Um, hopefully he can get back out there, but... Overall, I would say I'm optimistic, but I'm still very cautious on that cautious optimism for me. And uh, my hand is still near that panic button. Um, But yeah, Jennifer wanted to say that she was ugly crying the whole second half. Um, And I think I'm not far behind you. I ate two plates of nachos and just sat in depression while watching uh, the team fall apart. Uh, Sam, what about you? (laughs)
0: Um, in the first half, I had pumpkin spice uh, Milano cookies. Uh, shout out to Tom Clinton, who loves pumpkin spice. Yeah. I did that for him. Uh, but I have to ask, uh, Chris, was the nachos for our boy Nacho here?
1: You know, it, it might have been. Uh, I've been seeing nacho memes all week plus, um, and nachos have been on my mind. So, yeah, uh, I went shopping today, picked up some nacho ingredients, and definitely made some some nice nachos. I did Tostitos scoops with some Velveeta cheese and some salsa. Uh, fantastic. Uh, I meant to pick up scallions, but uh forgot those. But, you know, don't necessarily need them. They were still fantastic. <laughs> T- TMI on my nacho situation, but that's fine. Uh, this another, next question that we have from uh, J. Alexander Dolan. I don't know if you know who this is, Sam. Um, oh, boy. Uh, Dolan wants to know, instead of talking about this game, anyone want to talk U.S. Men's National Team kit designs? Or how about Breakfast Foods, Fantasy Football, Waffle House? Uh, and then he went later on in the uh, in his thread uh, to start defending that we need to change topics so that we don't have to talk about this game. Um, Sam, do you have any opinion on the, the U.S. Men's National Team leaked kits? And for those that don't know, there was a leak uh, for supposed kit designs for uh, that's the Qatar World Cup uh, for what the men's national team might be wearing. Um, pretty controversial leak. Do you have any takes on that, on those kits?
0: Um, I will say uh, that I obviously I saw them. I'm pretty confident those are actually the jerseys, and that I think they look quite horrible. Uh, I think the only jersey I might be looking to get for this World Cup would be a Matt Turner goalkeeper jersey, uh, but if I'm unable to get my hands on those, I will have to uh, rep my wife's home country of Brazil because their kits, much better. Uh, definitely like those much better. But yeah, U.S. kits are looking quite rough at the moment.
1: Yeah, You know what I don't get about the kits? Why is the logo centered like that? Uh, I know oh, some some teams do that, but... I've never been a fan of it, and uh, look at the kit. That's the thing that really stands out to me. The designs themselves, the white one, is just really white and bland and boring. I mean, we're used to that. Uh, following the revs, that's what you get. Um, so nothing new there. The blue one, I mean, at least it has some unique details. I, I don't even know how to describe it. There's just, like, black splotches. almost looks like a blood stains from where someone was murdered. Uh, but then you just got that ugly kit uh that ugly crest sitting in the middle. I don't even like the crest to begin with, but um, yeah, it's just big and just sit. The, I don't know. I'm not a fan of it. It's a controversial leak. And uh, I, I don't know. I, I've heard that it looks much better in person um, from. I don't even know. I don't remember where I heard it. It might've been listening to extra time. They were talking about it, saying that in person, it looks better. or Maybe they were saying it would look better in person. And maybe I am just making things up. Um, but anyway, uh, Dolan, thank you for that. We got off the topic of this game for for a minute. Um, did you want to talk about breakfast foods, fan- fantasy football, or Waffle House at all, Sam? Uh,
0: nah, we, we, we can save that uh, for the next time, or I can make fun of Greg for one of those things next time.
1: Yeah, okay, perfect. Uh, <laughs> Paulo S. wants to know, this was a casualty of the compounding injuries and 100% a throwaway game. Already forgot who we played. We're on to L.A uh one way to look at it for sure um i didn't think it was gonna be a throwaway game coming into the game and then seeing the lineup i was i didn't know what to think i was really confused and i i I saw the lineup first through foot mob and i was like all right it's just another crazy foot mob lineup where they just throw players in random positions there's no way that Aj is playing midfield there's uh, this lineup is not accurate is it um and then just to find out it's 100 percent accurate um just kind of really threw me off i still didn't think it was going to be a throwaway game and i think the way that bruce was reacting on the sidelines and uh with the post game uh mood i want to say i don't think bruce thought this was a throwaway game what do you think
0: yeah you know it definitely seemed like bruce is just kind of perplexed or you know probably upset with how the guys came out i know he said at halftime that the Reds were just physically like dominated. And then he said after the match that it was almost like they were physically intimidated. So obviously, you know, you don't want to see that, you know, from the team, but I think overall, you know, it's hard to really have a takeaway from this game as we illustrated. And just overall, when you think about all the factors, you know, all the injuries and the midweek match or whatever it may be, it's pretty hard to take away something from this game so i definitely think you know you have to look at this game see where you made mistakes see where you can improve but overall there isn't really a lot that you can take from it especially when you think about the roster that you likely have when you're going up against la and also too just the type of team that you're going to be going up against in the galaxy so i don't think the revs should stress too much about this loss but there's definitely some areas where they do need to improve
1: and as you don't think it was a throwaway game
0: Um, I, I, when I saw the lineup, I was definitely like, whoa, uh, but I think still, you would hope that you'd be able to at least get a point, um, especially now with the playoff race, just how crucial it is. Points are, you know, so important right now. You have to get as many points as possible. So even if you throw at a lineup like that, you should be hoping that you're able to get a point. And obviously it's tough. You're going up against the second best team in the Eastern conference. But you, you need points, and especially if you get down to decision day and the revs, God forbid, you know, lose out by a point or whatever it may be, you could look back on this and, you know, start asking questions. Uh, but overall, you know, I definitely think, especially looking at Bruce's reaction, that he did expect something from this game.
1: Yeah, and I, I, honestly, when I heard that uh, georgian Mihalovich was not going to be playing, I thought this is the perfect opportunity for the revs to try to steal a point, maybe even three. Um, but then obviously, you look at the revs lineup and and their roster in general. And I mean, uh, there's not a whole lot that Bruce really could do with the with the lineup. I mean, I think he still should have uh, played more five at the back type football, but um, yeah, yeah, I, I was just hoping that I don't know. I, in general, I'm just hoping they took away a point. I, I, I'm gonna keep harping on that, but um all right, yeah, moving on, Tom Cato wants to know as a scouting report in football manager would say, there's not much depth among these what I'm trying to read this and I'm misreading it. Sorry. There's not much depth among those outside the starting 11. This rings true right now, especially. And I mean, yeah, I, I guess there's not much depth when you have seven out of your 25 rostered players um, injured. That does, that does hamstring you quite a bit. And I don't know if the revs have 25 roster players right now. That was just a number. Um, (laughs) But Tom also wants to talk about throwaway games. Whether or not it was a throwaway game, as he's seen tonight, um, it was just a particularly tough watch. And, I mean, I think you and I have talked about that. We're doing our best to try to stretch out this podcast right now to be an hour long because there's just not much that we want to talk about with this match. I mean,
0: <laughs> am I, I wrong? Mean, but No, you're definitely right. And, I mean, just kind of uh, touch upon depth. I think, you know, kind of like you mentioned, it's pretty tough to you know, say this team has no depth when they're dealing with so many injuries. If, you know, if you have, you know, Henry Kessler and Andrew Farrell, you know, you're looking at your depth. You have, you know, Omar, you have Christian McCoon, you have Jerome Bell, you even have A.J. Garza, you know, that's a pretty deep group of center backs. And then when you look at the midfield, you know, if you have Barrero and you have these wings, you know, you're looking at guys like Ima Boateng, Tommy McNamara. You, you know, looking at those guys playing more depth roles and, you know, when it goes to striker, Justin Renick isn't going to be your typical starting striker. You're going to have Gustavo bow and giacomo Veroni. And then, you know, a guy like Justin renix is going to be that depth striker who can come on, maybe add some legs in the final minutes. Uh, so I definitely think the Reds do have depth. It's just they've hit a really tough spot and are really just unlucky when it comes to the amount of injuries they've had to deal with.
1: You know, you touched on Justin Rennicks again right now, and I'm just kind of take a quick break from the the questions, and I I want to ask a question. Um, these minutes that Justin Rennicks is is getting right now, I think it are, are going to prove immeasurable to him and his growth. Uh, do you think it's going to necessarily help him uh, provide more depth off the bench? You know, considering the fact that he's not supposed to be the starting striker on this club, um, not at this moment anyway. Maybe he's going to be developing into one. Who knows? But do you think um, that this is really going to help him and uh, just make him a more uh, viable um, option off the bench?
0: Yeah, I do think it's important because especially entering this season, it seems like a real make-or-break year for Renish and That you know he's been here for some time, and you kind of want to get a sense of what you have in him, and just the fact that you've been able to run him out in these many minutes. You know the fact that he has been able to find the back of the net. You know, it shows that he can be an MLS striker. So I do think that these minutes have been important. And I think whether it be in New England or possibly with a different club, these minutes will kind of ensure that his future, he gets a chance, you know. Obviously, I think it would be tough for him to break into the squad here. But if he's able to go to another team, for example, whether it be an MLS or, you know, the USL Championship, I think he's proven that he will be able to perform. So It will be interesting to see what happens. You know, obviously, we don't really know his uh, contract status. uh, But I think he's proven that he can compete in the MLS and, you know, be a good option off the bench for your team. It just depends if that will be new and revolution in the future or possibly someone else.
1: Yep. I I think he he just needs to make sure he's making the best of uh, the most of his minutes that he's getting right now because uh, I don't know how many more minutes he's going to get. But he's been doing pretty good lately. Um, Obviously, tired legs tonight, I think, uh, hurt him. But uh pubg potato says i don't even know what to say or where to begin neither do we but we're giving it a shot uh mike d says i feel like this was nope oh, i already read that one so we're gonna <laughs> move on um uh, mike d got his question on here twice dj stan wants to know um i assume that's dewan stan nice yes uh dewan was dewan deserves a look in the u.s men's national team september window uh kessler cost us points on this trip This game is a wash pro refs need to be held accountable for their incompetence. Uh, what was Bruce thinking with this formation tonight? Shouldn't have switched from the five man back line. Um, so a lot, lot to unpack on this one. Yes, there, we've touched on the five man back line. I think we both agree that that, that they maybe should have stayed with that. And in hindsight, maybe Bruce is going to agree with that. Uh, I don't think he would admit that, but, uh, who knows what, what he's thinking in hindsight. Um, this game is a wash. Yeah, you know what? It's it happened. It's over. Move on from it. I think you have to. uh, The pro refs need to be held accountable. So this is something that nobody else really talked about was the refereeing. Uh, I thought that while in the grand scheme, it did not impact the outcome of this game. I think it's worth addressing and saying there was a lot of calls that were not made uh, on behalf of the revolution, whether they were just simple foul calls. um, I thought there was a call where Justin Rennox and a Montreal defender, they were sliding towards the end line. And I think I was pretty confident that the ball went out, uh, for a revs corner. Uh, Justin Rennox was adamant that it was a corner. Um, and it was called a, a goal kick right away. I didn't see the replay on that. So maybe that was correct, but that happened. And then obviously you want to talk about the big one of the night, the fourth goal, the PK, uh, that was a clear and obvious dive for my opinion. I don't see how that's a penalty kick and uh, granted from where, where Chris Penso was standing on the pitch in the moment, I can see how that would look like a penalty, but then you get called for VAR, VAR brings you in and we've seen this two weeks ago. I think it was no, maybe not even two weeks ago. Um, where you get called in for VAR and I, we think it's a pretty clear and obvious situation where you're going to overturn it. Um, And I don't know what Chris Penso saw that made him uphold his decision. Omar did not touch uh, the Montreal attacker. I don't know who it was that was attacking, but I didn't see him touch it. What did you think on that call? I wanted to just go over that one real quick. Um, Do you think that was a penalty? I've lost for words on it.
0: No, and I, I definitely didn't think it was a penalty. And obviously... I think it kind of highlighted some of the issues with VAR because obviously you have a guy like Chris Penso uh, issues the call, issues the penalty. Then all of a sudden we see VAR comes in, steps in, and now he's having to go over, look at it, and basically you have that issue—the whole confirmation bias of do I want to say that I was wrong and you know say that it was a dive and you know in the moment it may have looked like a pen, you know maybe Chris Penso just didn't want to do that, and I think that's kind of the issue with Barr is that, you know, you're giving this to the head referees and, you know, they made a call and now you're kind of hoping that they'll do the right thing and if they made a mistake, say they made a mistake. And obviously, I think it looked very much like a dive and I think it kind of marked Omar's game. Obviously, it didn't really make a big impact, but I thought Omar had a pretty solid game off the bench, and just the fact that obviously gives it a pen probably isn't exactly great for him. Uh, but overall, yeah, I just think it shows that there's still some flaws in VAR. VAR's concept is always going to be flawed, I'd say, whether it be if you look at MLS, EPL, whatever it may be. Uh, so it just once again kind of rears its ugly head. And just the fact that it was a 3 nothing game and, you know, it ended up being a 4 nothing game. You know, it's not like this goal costs the team the game per se. If you went back and said it wasn't a goal, I don't think anybody would really be too upset. I think the revolution would be happy that, you know, the right call was made and Montreal would be like, all right, we're still going to win this game. Uh, so the fact that the call wasn't reversed on the field by Chris Pencil, so I think is even more damning. Uh, but it will be interesting to see if there is any sort of fix, obviously, you know, maybe go to more of a centralized thing, give VAR that power to make the call. Uh, but overall, it just seems like, again, we see that, uh, bar can be very tricky I mean, it can can uh, mess with some games and it obviously didn't really mess with the result but it did mess with the final score line of a uh, this revolution game
1: yeah and i mean if it comes down to goal differential uh as for getting into the playoffs and the Rez are out by one goal then this is going to be a very big uh a very hot topic but uh the odds of that happening i understand are probably like extremely astronomical but uh, maybe they're not at the same time. I mean, if you want to look at the standings right now, the Revs have a minus two goal differential. Cincinnati has a minus three, uh, and they're right on the heels. Um, they have the same points per game as the Revs right now. So all it takes is Cincinnati to keep the same amount of points as the Revs the rest of the way and uh, just score two more goals, and then uh, they're in. Um, so that's an that's an interesting um, perspective on it too. Uh, it's interesting that you mentioned the Uh, oh gosh, I forget what what the word was you said, but the the bias, the confirmation bias, that's what you said. Yes. Um, And I agree. Like, why? You have VAR with three officials looking at this, trained officials, match-ready officials that could go call a match as the head head official. I, I think, anyway, maybe not all of them, but definitely some of them. You have three people looking at this without being in the heat of the game and without the emotions of everything running through you from a relatively unbiased perspective saying, Hey, you made a mistake here, or we think you made a mistake here. You need to take a look at this. I mean, if when you have that many people looking at it and, and, and suggesting that you made a mistake, I, I, and it's that clear and obvious. I mean, that's just a tough one for me when they say clear and obvious, I just don't get it. Um, it's too much gray area, but um, moving on, we could talk about VAR and its its shortcomings, I think, all night, but uh, DJ Stan was also saying, uh, Kessler costs points on this trip. Sam, um, I, we could talk about the vaccination status for Kessler all we want, but do you think if Kessler played in this match or in the Toronto match, if that would have helped with uh, with points, would it have been an upgrade? I mean, We wouldn't have seen the five-man back line, I don't think, in Toronto. And tonight, I think we would have seen a different back line overall. But uh, how big of a a loss do you think it was for Kessler to not be in the 11?
0: Yeah, I I would say probably overall, I think it definitely was a loss. I think you are walking away with more points if you do have Henry Kessler in the lineup just because you know, you're going up against a Toronto team that has so much talent like Bernadeschi, Insigne, Iowa Canola. you know, if you're able to have your top uh, center back pairing, you're probably going to do better uh, than if you have guys like Omar, McCune, you know, working alongside Farrell, and then tonight, you know, John Bell and Andrew Farrell. So, you know, obviously it happened. There's nothing we can do about it now. Uh, the games have been played. I don't think the refs have to go back to Canada. So, Unless it happens in the playoffs, that would be the only time we would have to worry about it again. Uh, But overall, I do think that if you have Henry Kessler, you know, even if it's just simply getting a tie in this game or, you know, instead of drawing with Toronto, you're able to edge out that victory. I think you're going to be able to walk away with more points if you did have them uh, in the starting lineup.
1: Well, Sam, you walked into the next question here. David Sevillan wants to know if the Revs make the playoffs and have to play in Canada, can the Revs win without Kessler?
0: I mean, I think it will be tough. I think if the Revolution have Dylan Barrero, Giacomo Baroni, and Gustavo Bo, that they do have a chance. But God forbid, for some reason, you know, they just don't heal well or they're not able to come back. New England isn't able to have a full force lineup. I would say I wouldn't expect them to win. I would probably expect a team like Toronto, just with that talent and they're getting hot at the right time. Uh, I would expect them to win. So I think it all comes down to if you get your you know, your crucial parts of the attack back, you know, you can probably edge out that win. But if for some reason they don't come back healthy or they have a setback, you could be in real trouble if you don't have Henry Kessler able to play in a playoff game against Toronto or Montreal.
1: Yep, I agree with that. The I will say I think If the Revs end up playing in Canada, it would most more than likely uh, be in Montreal. I can't see a scenario where the Revs play in Toronto right now, especially looking at where Toronto sits in the standings. Uh, Currently four points uh, out of the playoffs, and uh, they only have seven games remaining on their schedule. Uh, So they have an uphill battle for sure with, uh, you know, a bunch of teams. I mean, I can't even count them off the top of my head. One, two, three, four, five, six. Six teams within uh, reach of Toronto. Right ahead of them, all equally battling for the last two playoff spots. Um, seven teams, if you want to include Toronto in that. Toronto's one seven, fighting for two spots, and they are in the worst position of all seven. So, definitely uphill battle for Toronto. But uh, I, I digress. I, I I keep going off track. Uh, tr- off track here, but playing in Montreal, if the attackers are healthy. I think it's a different situation situation. Uh, Montreal has been a very good team this year. Uh, being second place in the East is obviously uh, proof of that. They have also been uh, guilty of conceding quite a bit of goals. Uh, 41 goals against so far on the season. Revs didn't really come in tonight with any attack. Uh, obviously, they had a 17-year-old kid. They had Justin Renick's uh, and Carlos Heel. Carlos Heel is fantastic, but he can't do it all by himself. Um, the Revs show up with it a, with a, a full-strength attack. I think it's going to be a completely different scenario. Uh, and they're going to have a bit more flexibility to, to play some more defenders um, in different situations if they can get an early lead. Uh, I would definitely give the Revs an edge over Montreal, but maybe that's just because I'm used to seeing Montreal not be so good. And in my head, they're still not that good team. Um, anyway, I digress. Moving on. Uh, okay. David Sibilla went on just to say that we should trade Kessler to a USL team. Uh, he doesn't <laughs> think Providence plays uh, Canadian teams, so uh, <laughs> that's, a, that's a strong I mean, take, I, obviously. I, I mean,
0: I think you probably would want to keep Kessler, uh, regardless yeah. of his vaccination status, but uh, you know, that's up to David,
1: yeah, exactly. Uh, but yeah, that's that's it for the questions. I think we've made it through everything. Uh, we have one other piece of news that I did want to talk about. You mentioned it earlier. We kind of went uh, uh, on a Nacho tangent here. But Nacho Hill was announced by Bruce Arena on 98.5 The Sports Hub during an interview with Zolak and Bertrand. Uh, no official announcement from the club yet. From what we understand, we are still awaiting uh, Nacho's visa to get cleared. Uh, and hopefully that will be before September, according to Bruce Arena. Um, James Downing did actually have a question, he wanted to know our thoughts on Nacho Hill. Um And Sam, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw it to you first. I personally don't have a whole lot of uh, familiarity with Nacho, uh, but have you seen anything? Um, have you got any opinions uh, one way or the other?
0: Um, I I mean I do think the move's interesting just in the fact so he is a winger, and the fact that you have guys like Dylan Barrero, Ema Boateng, you know you're pretty. I don't want to say deep at the position, but, you know, also, too, you have Ismail Tajori Sharadi, who I completely blinked upon this entire episode. Uh, but, you know, you have him who could possibly come back. So, when you look at the wings, you're quite deep. And, obviously, in the midfield, you have Carlos. And I don't exactly think someone like Nacho would up upend someone like Polster or Tommy McNamara, maybe. Uh, I just think it's a really interesting move. Obviously, I think there'll be questions uh, if this is just because he's Carlos Hill's brother. There'll be questions if uh, Bruce or people are doing this to make Carlos happy. And, you know, I do think there are fair questions, but I also think, you know, this is a player who played in La Liga, La Liga 2. So he definitely has some skill, but I don't exactly know how much of an impact he'll have on the team, especially considering, I believe Bruce said that his contract is until the end of the season, you know, until the end of 2022. So it doesn't exactly seem like it's going to be a long-term thing. So is this just to keep him fit for his next club? So there's a lot of questions, and I don't exactly know how exactly this makes the revolution a better team, have a better attack, when you've already gone out and made so many moves, especially, you know, at the one-year position.
1: Yep, I don't think it directly does make the revolution a better team. Not immediately, anyway. And, yeah, I mean, there's a definite strong chance that um, that um this was just to appease Carly Seale, make him happy. Uh, could be a, a hundred other reasons, but like you said, Nacho does have uh, a history of playing in La Liga. Um, I, I think he's played in all the top three tiers in Spain. And that's, I mean, that's really all I know about him, but the contract that we're looking at, like you said, it's to the end of the year. It just kind of feels like an extended trial uh, and that you can apply to a, a live active game situations as well the reds are out arner tristison right now and they have that spot available doesn't hurt to just throw nacho heal in there you can only sign a player as as a free agent right now no big free agents out there worth really going after right now i mean it doesn't it doesn't hurt it's we're talking about whether or not this game was a throwaway game i almost feel like signing nacho heal was a a throwaway signing like what's the worst that can happen and Honestly, I kind of agree with that. What's the worst that can happen? I mean, he's he's a skilled, talented professional. Um, and if he's not working out, you just don't play him. It's not that difficult. And uh, he's done at the end of the season. No hard feelings. Sam, do you have any final thoughts that you want to say?
0: I mean, it's, I would probably say that it's going to be a long week. But this LA Galaxy game... Uh, Definitely would be an interesting one. You know, you got you know Chicharito possibly coming in, Douglas Costa, uh, lots of talented players on the LA team. So it'll be a tough match, but I think after that Montreal match, uh, the Revolution will be happy to be at home. And
1: where can our listeners find you on social media?
0: Yeah, so you can find me on social media on Twitter at sam underscore minton twenty two. Also, please make sure to follow uh, The Bent Musket on Twitter at The Bent Musket and read all of our great work. Uh, we greatly appreciate it. And we always appreciate uh, when either myself or other members of The Bent Musket get to talk some Revolution Shocker with the guys over at Rev's Uh
1: Sam, we we appreciate you coming on. Thank you very much. And to our listeners, thank you so much for listening. Please make sure you follow us on Twitter at Revolution Recap and follow our Revolution Recap Instagram and Facebook pages. Be sure to follow The Bent Musket, as Sam said, on Twitter at The Bent Musket, and follow their work online at TheBentMusket.com for year-round coverage. Also, be sure to follow our friends in The Rebellion at The Rebellion on Twitter and go to anyrebellion.org to learn more about them. And also check out our sponsor, Galasso Kits, and use promo code REVSRECAP for 15% off of your order. Make sure you're subscribed on iTunes, wherever you're listening, and if you could please rate and review us five stars, it helps people looking for revolution content to find it. We'll be back when more stuff happens. Until then, thank you all for listening, and go Revs. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel.